Do you know that you wrote Flash Smashers probably 17 times in this? I think uh, I wrote it. I think I wrote it a lot. I think you wrote it at least once, though. I don't think I wrote it. Uh, We'll see. I'm pretty sure there's one next to an EMG. Uh, We'll find out. Okay. Episode four. Mark hurriedly goes and starts retyping over (laughs) the Flash Smashers. I almost corrected it for you, and then I realized it happened a bunch of times, and so I was like, no, I'll leave it. Not realizing that it was going to screw me over, because I forgot that I was reading. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> All right, so how do we want to do this again? You, I, I think I read the... Wait, actually, you did. No, you read the... You mm-hmm. read the... I read You this. read that part. Yeah, you I read that... We can, you read the, the We Can Do This All Day mm-hmm. episode, blah, blah, blah part. All right. Go for it. I mean, there are other things we have to say first. Such as, well, you have to say, you're the one who's going to say, we can do this all day, episode 32. The no, the we're missing something else. Are you ready, partner? Yeah, but no, we say the... No, we say the... I always say, we could do this all day, episode 32, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, part two, episodes uh, four through yeah. six. Are you ready, partner? You're Rock right. and roll, bucket See, we don't know what we're doing anymore. I told... I, okay, in this case, I did know what I was doing. So... Do you want to, so you need to read the, we could do this all day, episode 32. Okay. (laughs) We can do this all, we can do this all day, episode 32, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier review, part two, episodes four through six. Are you ready, partner? Rock and roll, buckaroo. Hi, this is Emily. And this is Mark. And And we we can can do do this this all day. day. A podcast where we review all the movies and shows in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're going through the MCU chronologically and discussing our overall impressions, things we liked, things we didn't like, and everything in between. We hope you'll tune in and stay with us till the end of the line. And it's another Friday night in the nation's capital. I and have it's been how many years since we last did long this? Long enough for me to do Barbenheimer three weeks late. I'm trying to remember, like, the last time we did this, you did Barbenheimer three weeks late. I think I've gone on, like, three trips. You've gone on, like, three trips. You've gone I've, on a trip. I've gone on a rather big trip. The You know, the place that I visited is now a smoldering ruin. Well, technically, that's not true. We didn't go to Maui, but you get the idea. It's been like, what, three, two months? It's been about two months, two and a half months. It's been a long time. We just took a little summer break. Yeah, we've we've been busy. We've had stuff going on. You know, life happens. To quote a popular sitcom in the 80s, you know, making your way in the world today takes everything you got. Um, I thought you were going to sing Making My Way Downtown, and I was like, all right, yeah, that didn't come out in the 80s, but cool. no, No, I was... It's not like me to invoke Cheers, because I actually didn't watch that show very much when it was on the air. But, you know, as you get older, time passes and you feel different about things. I don't know where we were going with that. Either way, we are we are back, finally, after a really, really long break. Uh, how are you, Emily? I'm good. I'm glad we're I'm glad we're doing this again. We're finally getting back on track because I I had at least one person ask me, "What are you going to do the second part of your Falcon the Winter Soldier review?" Never. And I said, "I don't know." 
Never, ever, ever. Yeah, but we're back now. Uh, uh, it's good to see you. It's good to hear your voice. I'm glad we're doing this now. Uh, it's been too long. Uh, what has happened since we've been gone? Let's fire up the ticker tape machine for the MCU news. I think the last time we did a show, the the WGA Writers Guild of America had just gone on strike, or they'd been on strike about a month at that point. Well, since our last podcast, the actors have joined them. So SAG-AFTRA has been on strike, so there's not a whole lot of news because nothing is being made. When Disney and all the other studios get around to paying their writers and their actors, you know, maybe, maybe we'll have something to talk about. Mostly more of the same. Uh, Loki Season 2 will drop on October the 6th, uh, as as originally anticipated as of right now echo is still scheduled to drop on november 29th the entire season in one fell swoop there's talk that the marvels might get pushed back from november since the actors may not be around to promote that film i have seen secret invasion the first episode drop while we were on our trip we were actually in disneyland of all places it's got a very in my opinion it's got a very uh, falcon and the winter soldier kind of vibe to it fans are kind of divided on this one but i am very firmly in the i love it camp i really 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 loved secret invasion amazing performance quite possibly some of the best acting that Samuel L. Jackson has done really, really good, I thought, just to put that out there, Secret Invasion. And there's a, it's, a, it's got a very kind of downbeat ending in a way. Uh, some serious, there's some serious revelations in this, in this series that affect everything in the MCU that we've seen going back quite a bit. I won't say any more out of fear of spoilers, but uh, I urge everyone to watch Secret Invasion. Uh, the only other thing that happened, uh, Captain America New World Order was retitled Captain America Brave New World. They were able to wrap filming right before the SAG-AFTRA strike started. So at least they got the film in the can, but uh, who knows if we'll see it on time next summer. I have the feeling that one's going to end up turning into a holiday 2024 movie. So that's the news. Uh, once again, Emily is going to take the command chair and uh, go on point for this one. Uh, Emily! Back to you. For the weather. That's what that sounded like. <laughs> That's, yes, I see. I'm just, I'm totally. We're talking to Emily kind of on the, in the field. <laughs> our, our, our eye in the sky, Emily Griswold. <laughs> Helicopter. <laughs> Gunshots the in the op- background. That was supposed to be a helicopter, but we were doing the traffic report. But anyway. Well, you know, you gonna, it's America. What, gee, it's there could been be gunshots in the background. You don't it know. It could be in the middle of a traffic jam. Yeah. Well, you know, Emily, I, I, a lot of our listeners may not remember uh, what we talked about last week. Can you enlighten us? Can you give us a little, re- <laughs> can you give us a little refresher? Oh, it's already falling apart. Okay. Recap of episodes one through three. Six months after the blip, a woman named Carly Morgenthau leads a group known as the Flag Smashers in a movement to bring about a world without borders. They feel that those who remained during the blip became disadvantaged by the world's governments once everyone else returned, and they strive to restore a semblance of life during the blip. They have acquired enhanced abilities through a reconstituted version of the Super Soldier Serum and are acquiring weapons and supplies in order to help achieve their aims. Sam Wilson and Bucky Barnes are working together to stop the Flag Smashers, but their efforts have been complicated by the meddling of Army Captain John Walker, who has taken the mantle of Captain America bestowed upon him by the U.S. government, after Sam Wilson declined to wield the shield. With the help of X-Shield and ex-FBI agent Sharon Carter, who's now living as an outlaw in the criminal sanctuary of Madripoor, and Baron Helmut Zemo, who Sam and Bucky broke out of prison, Sam, Bucky, and Zemo have traveled to the Latvian capital of Riga, where they believe they will find Morgenthau. 
Upon their arrival, Bucky encounters Io of the Wakandan Dormelage, who have been tracking him. In Vilnius. Okay. In Vilnius, Lithuania, Morgenthau destroys a global repatriation council, GRC, depot after raiding it for supplies, killing a number of people still inside it. Episode 4, The Whole World is Watching. We flash back to Wakanda six years earlier. A pensive Bucky Barnes sits by the fire as Io recites the Winter Soldier trigger words to him in Russian. He does not turn. He is free of the Hydra programming. Just two things, since you want me to say something about this. I prefer Sebastian Stan with short hair and sad crying, not long hair and happy slash relieved crying. I just I just assumed that you would want to say something. I, it just seemed like that seemed like a no-brainer to me. That's not like what I look for. It's different. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Um, yeah. What I want please, is different than con- what I got. <laughs> pre- uh, understood. Proceed. Cut back to the alley in Riga in the present. Io questions Bucky as to why he would free the man who caused so much harm to the people responsible for getting the Winter Soldier programming removed from him. Bucky reaffirms his gratitude towards Wakanda for everything they've done for him, but insists that he needs Zemo as a means to an end. Io will grant him eight hours before they come for him. Okay, I totally understand why the Wakandans are upset. That's pretty obvious. This is the guy who, you know, blew up their king. Having said that, I like to think that a member of the Dora Milaje would at least have some understanding of, of using someone like Zemo as a means to an end. After all, it's not like the Wakandans always operate above board themselves, you know what I mean? I guess the eight hours was Ayo's concession to that point. Zemo did kill their king. I would probably not be inclined to let Zemo roam around free if I were them either. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying, oh, why didn't they let Bucky and Sam have more time with Zemo? I guess ultimately they did stop to consider it because they did give him the eight hours. If Bucky had just broken mouth for, you know, for the fun of it, yeah, take him back right away. I just like to think that they would have understood that that maybe something big was at stake and that Bucky would not have done something so incredibly rash without having a pretty darn good reason. But, okay, they gave eight hours and that was their concession. Upon rejoining Sam and Zemo at the hotel, Bucky learns about Carly's bombing of the GRC depot, which has left three dead and 11 wounded. She has presented demands and a promise of additional attacks if those demands aren't met. The trio then investigate a camp in Riga where the Flag Smasher sympathizers house those displaced when everyone returned from the blip. Understandably, no one will talk to Sam or Bucky, but Zemo is able to convince some children to tell him, and only him, when and where Donya Madani's funeral will be held. He relays to Sam and Bucky that the funeral will be that afternoon, but he won't tell them where. To Bucky's frustration, Sam expresses that while he may not condone her methods, he understands and maybe even sympathizes with Carly, and that she's the only person actually doing anything to help these people while the rest of the world seemingly ignores them. Sam comes from a long line of people whose own government ignored and outright abused them, so I guess it's not hard to see where he's coming from. I think stuff like this is the only time that the Flag Smashers really make sense. You know, all these people presumably had homes and lives and then had all that taken away when everyone returned and then were cast aside again. I'm a pacifist, but like, I think I said this before, I get why they'd go that route if nothing else has worked. Sam calls Sharon to ask her if she has any eyes on the camp that might help them find Carly. She says she'll get back to him. She also tells him that the power broker is furious about Nagel's killing and that the power broker wants Carly found ASAP since she's the only one left with any connection to the missing super soldier serum. Carly and Nico retrieve several vials of super soldier serum from a hidden compartment in a cemetery. Nico confesses that he used to be a fan of Captain America, but now he says that today's heroes can't afford the luxury of keeping their hands clean because the world has become complicated and the people need a leader who knows their pain. Okay, um, 
this whole scene uh, is is one of several in this in this particular episode that kind of have me scratching my head a little bit. First of all, the world has been more complicated than just good versus evil since long before the blip. I mean, like, hello, do we remember Captain America: The Winter Soldier? Second, why does the world getting complicated? automatically mean that your heroes have to start hurting innocent people. And and then there's that bit from Carly about the shield representing everyone history left behind. Yes, I get the blip was horrible for you, but why does that automatically mean that everyone's values should change overnight too? Call me naive or old-fashioned. I mean, I'll frankly, I will cop to both of those, but the logic here just escapes me. I never really liked the dialogue in this scene either. I mean, even Steve cops to the fact that they did things that made them not sleep so well during World War II. If anything was complicated, it was that war, and I think Europeans would understand that even more than some Americans would. The one good thing I would say about this scene is that it demonstrates the habit we have as humans to glamorize and idealize the past. Walker and Hoskins arrive just in time to try and talk Bucky, Sam, and Zemo out of talking with Carly at Donya Madani's funeral. Walker is ready to go in, guns blazing, but Hoskins, wisely, talks him down and convinces him to let Sam try and get through to her. Walker handcuffs Zemo and gives Sam ten minutes to talk to Carly, after which he's coming in to do it my way. Okay. Give me a nice long break to catch your voice here. I want to walk through the first part of Sam's chat with Carly, almost line by line, because I think it's really important. So Sam offers his condolences for Carly's loss. Because this is Sam Wilson, and he's being polite, like we would expect from him. This is how Sam is. This is what normal human beings do. Carly responds, quote, Don't condescend to me. I'm not a child. Okay, Carly, you may not be a child, but you are sure acting like one. Sam, I know what it's like to lose someone. Believe me. Carly, no you don't. Not like this. Jesus, call me insensitive, but I can't stand it. When people act like they can corner the market on grief, just drives me nuts. And that's exactly what Carly is doing here. Sam, it doesn't have to be a war, Carly. Carly, they started a war when they kicked us out of our new homes and onto the street. Okay, I get that. Carly, people around the world need me. Millions of them. Let me just repeat that again. She says, people around the world need me. Millions of them. Whoa, got a bit of a messiah complex, do we? That sounds to me, and I hear that statement, that sounds an awful lot to me, like a certain megalomaniacal former president of the United States during his first campaign saying, quote, I alone can fix it. Carly, so you want me to stop because people are getting hurt, right? But Sam, what if I'm making the world a better place? Sam, it's not a better place if you're killing people, it's just different. Carly, you're either brilliant or just hopelessly optimistic. Sam, why can't I be a little bit of both? Carly, no. Can we just assume that the serum is doing this to her? It's making her both crazy and arrogant? I'm, I'm trying really, really hard to give her some sort of an out here. I'm usually pretty good about giving the benefit of the doubt to people, but she just sounds really, really, really unhinged here. I feel like anybody who's leading a massive worldwide movement is not like a normal human, right? (laughs) Like you have to be somewhat self-entitled and somewhat, you know, believing that you're the world's savior if you're going to do something like that. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. Well, that's 
That's true. I think, like, for example, anyone who runs for president of the United States must have a really, really big ego, because if you think you can run the free world, you must think pretty damn highly of yourself. So I don't doubt that. But most of us are, you know, diplomatic enough to not verbalize that out loud. You know, I just... I mean, I, she's talking yeah. alone I with al- someone. I alone can fix it. She's talking alone with someone that she does kind of sort of trust, otherwise she would have left. You know, you're more likely to say things like that in front of one person than in front of a giant group of people, I would think. But I think she would also say those things in front of everybody, so... Yes, I think she does. I think... Well, I don't... I think she would. I don't know if she does, but I think she would, yes. Outside, an agitated walker begins to pace, saying that something is wrong. Bucky tells him it hasn't been 10 minutes and that he needs to sit tight. Don't patronize me, Walker shoots back, before beginning to head towards where Carly and Sam are meeting, and Bucky stops him. Walker has no super soldier serum in him at this point, spoiler alert, so he can't use that as an excuse for being a hot-headed idiot. He's, here, I'm going to read, now I'm going to read a quote from Walker. Quote, it must be so easy for you, all that super soldier serum running through your veins. Good God. And I, and I thought I was insecure. I've got lots of problems, but... Like, the complete lack of emotional intelligence in this guy is astounding. Uh, And here, and, you know, on top of that, we've got another immature little snot complaining about being patronized, you know. Stop patronizing me. Stop patronizing me. Stop talking like a child to me. God, it just drives me nuts. Maybe it's because I'm, you know, kind of an old fart now, but that just gives me the bleeps. Um, They're like a couple of babies. Carly and Walker, like a couple little babies. Wah, wah, wah. I'm a children's librarian, and I can safely say that most of the kids I work with on a daily basis are more mature than those two. I find Walker to be way more childish and unbearable than Carly, although I'm sure you aren't surprised by that. This guy's probably been given everything in his life, no strings attached, silver spoon, you name it. The only difficult thing he ever did was the military, which he chose to do to himself. Suffering and struggle have never been forced upon him like they were for Carly. I think that's one of the few differences between them. Well, I think we can safely assume that as a white male, he has probably had a certain amount of privilege. I don't question that at all. I'm sure of that. Yes, he joined the military presumably voluntarily. Uh, He was not drafted to become Captain America. He did that by choice. So, yeah, he's taking this on. Of his own free will, even though we still don't know exactly what is happening to all these, fl- what happened during the blip and immediately after the blip to all these flag smashers. I trust that really, really bad stuff happened to them as a result of being relocated and stuff like that, even though I kind of wish I could have seen it with my own eyes. But that's that. Aside from the male white privilege, I'm not sure if he necessarily had every any other thing else handed to him. We don't really know anything else about his upbringing, so I'm personally hesitant to ascribe that to him, but I'm sure he had lots of advantages over Carly. No doubt about that. Sam paraphrases Zemo's quote about Carly being a supremacist, which she naturally refutes. Sam tells her he knows that she's got more serum and assumes that she's going to increase the size of her forces with it. Sam, you're killing innocent people. Carly, they're not innocent. They're roadblocks on my journey and I'd kill them again if I had to. Sam, wow. Carly, no, no, no. I didn't mean it like that. You tricked me into sounding like Sam. Like what? Sam tells Carly that he agrees with her fight, but not with the way that she's carrying it out. They're roadblocks on my journey, and I'd kill them again if I had to. And then she has the gall to say that that's not what she meant. Oh, I didn't mean to say that. Oopsie. Sam tricked me into saying it. I mean, good God. She's she's nuts. She's just gone, as far as I'm concerned at this point. She is just gone. And frankly, 
I agree with Zemo on this point. I think that she she thinks that she alone is the key to the salvation of humanity and that she has the right to do whatever it takes to advance her cause that might makes right. You know, that kind of sounds like supremacy to me. Um, what happened to her and the folks who support the Flag Smashers was wrong. I'm not questioning that. But, you know, just because you're the oppressed at one point doesn't mean that you can't become the oppressor yourself later on. I agree. Walker and Hoskins then break in, with Bucky trailing them to try and arrest Carly. And I just want to point out, I don't know if you watch with subtitles or not, but when they start fighting, in the subtitles, Carly calls Walker a Nazi. I do not watch it with subtitles. That's very interesting. I I just thought that was interesting when I saw it this time. Walker shoves Sam away when he tries to stop him. Carly runs to another part of the building, with Bucky in hot pursuit. Zemo, who escaped his confinement, surprises Carly and shoots her. In her attempt to seek cover, several vials of the serum fall out of Carly's bag onto the floor. Zemo stomps on the vials, breaking them, but allows Carly to escape. Walker enters the room and incapacitates Zemo with a shield. He then notices one vial of serum that has survived the melee and quietly pockets it. Carly, Nico, and Dovich reconvene to consider their options. The loss of the super soldier serum is compounded by a message from the power broker, who wants the serum back or else. Carly insists that she can deal with the power broker later. For now, she wants to separate Sam's group and kill Captain America. Carly tells Nico and Dovich about how when they first got started in all this, that she felt like they were, I believe the quote is, chosen. So far, everything Carly has said in this episode points to her being a megalomaniac. I don't see how you can't see it any other way. In the interest of being sensitive to those of us who struggle with mental health issues... I'm just going to say that I think Carly Morgenthau would be served well by someone like, oh, Dr. Rayner. Back at Zemo's apartment, Bucky, Sam, and Zemo have no more than a moment's rest before Walter, Hoskins, and the Dora Milaje all show up to claim Zemo. Walker makes the very bad mistake of encroaching on Io's personal space, so to speak, and provokes the Dora into attacking him and Hoskins. At first, Sam and Bucky are content to watch the outmatched Walker and Hoskins struggle to defend themselves, but then decide that they should try to intervene. Bucky's attempt to break up the fight only results in he and Sam also getting the crap kicked out of them. When Bucky engages Io, she triggers a hidden kill switch that makes Bucky's vibranium arm detach itself from his body. With the four guys incapacitated and keeping all of the Dora's attention, Zemo slips out of the apartment unnoticed through a hidden passage in the bathroom. Io curses Bucky before she and the Dora depart. Walker's astonishment quickly turns to anger and humiliation, as he acknowledges that he was defeated by someone who wasn't even a super soldier. There is so much in this scene that I love that I think makes it one of the best two minutes of this whole show. The Dora Milaje have jurisdiction wherever the Dora Milaje find themselves to be. Uh, Zemo, Sam, and Bucky. Looking strong, John. Being yeah, way like less than helpful. <laughs> Zemo, I'm just going to sit there. Yeah. That's great. Zemo was on his way out the door the second Walker drop-kicked his way in there. The door Milaje just gave him a very safe and convenient way out. There was lots of chatter, at least on my side of the internet, when this episode came out, with people upset that the Wakandans would put a kill switch in Bucky's arm because, like... You know, for all purposes, Bucky is disabled, he's missing a limb, and for someone to be able to just take away his aid is kind of gross, so I agree there. However, it's also a weapon, and he also is a mass murderer, mind control or not, so they're not entirely wrong. I think Io did what she had to do, and I don't blame her one bit. And last, the Dora, who just casually picks up the shield and is like, I'll be the new Cap, that's no big deal. And, uh, wait, last, last, when Bucky does that little arm roll thing after he reattaches his arm, that gets me every time. 
He did that in like a Winter Soldier too. Yeah, after he, he pulled did. The, pulled the knife out. But he does yeah. like that. He like <laughs> that full rotation. Uh huh. I think it's great. <laughs> I understand what Bucky's trying to do, but you know when the Doro Milaje tell you you have eight hours, it means you have eight hours. <laughs> There's no if, ands, or buts. He should know that by now. He lived with them for God knows how long. And yeah, as for the arm thing, yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm totally on board with the Wakandans on this one. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a vibranium arm. It is like you said, it is a weapon that they've handed to you know someone who, until not long before that, was a mass murderer, and they're very, very, very reluctant to give their technology to outsiders. So, yeah, it was, uh, it should not surprise anyone that they built in a way to take that back if they needed to. I think that's very prudent. Sam and Zemo's brief conversation at the beginning of this scene is interesting. Sam says he would never take the serum if it were offered to him. Given what we know about Sam, that's probably not surprising. Zemo says that being a super soldier is like playing God, and that they should not exist. I do like Sam's counter, that such thinking in and of itself is like playing God too. It's kind of a nice little bit of witty repartee there. Carly calls Sarah and threatens her and the kids if she doesn't help to arrange a meeting with Sam. Sam and Bucky arrive at the meeting site in an old hospital. Carly tells Sam she considered asking him to join her, but now she just wants him to stay out of her way. Moments later, Sharon calls Sam and alerts him that Walker and Hoskins are closing on their location. Sam flies off while Bucky pursues Carly, who is run. Upon entering the building, Walker and Hoskins are separated. Hoskins is taken hostage. Sam returns to the building just as Walker takes out one of the flag smashers very quickly. Sam realizes that Walker has taken the serum. Sam, Bucky, and Walker converge on the Flag Smashers and are soon joined by Hoskins, who has freed himself. Carly is about to take out Walker when Hoskins plows her out of the way. Carly punches Hoskins into a stone column, killing him. The Flag Smashers flee, chased by Sam, Bucky, and an enraged Walker, who pursues Nico into the town square and violently beats him to death with the shield, in full view of the numerous onlookers, many of whom have captured the act on their phones. First of all, I think, uh, can we just agree that unless you happen to be one of the lucky 10%, like Steve Rogers, Bucky Barnes, and Isaiah Bradley, uh, for whom the super soldier serum doesn't turn you into a raving lunatic, that maybe taking the super soldier serum is just generally a bad thing to do? Having said that, I would probably take it myself. But, um... Maybe we'll talk about that later. Uh, anyway, the image of a completely unhinged John Walker skulking around as he wields the blood-soaked shield over Nico's body has to be, hands down, one of the most absolutely shocking images from one of the most shocking moments in the MCU. Uh, it's just chilling. Even Carly, who's in, who's standing around with the various onlookers, even she can't quite believe what Walker's just done. Shortly before all this, Walker talks with Hoskins about whether or not he would take the serum and whether or not he'd worry about how it would change him. Hoskins tells him that the serum simply makes the person more of himself, and therefore, yes, he would take it. If what Lamar says is true, then I guess we uh, we are learning quite a bit about uh, the real John Walker once he takes it. This episode is probably my favorite one of the whole series, but I'm kind of upset that we don't get more storyline regarding all those people filming Walker literally beating someone to death with the shield like yeah he gets his rank stripped or whatever but we don't get to hear anything else about it also the callback to Winter Soldier with the music during that whole fight scene I know it's the same person who did the Winter Soldier music as here but I think they're using the callbacks really well excellent 
Tens across the board. I love it. And also that Nico was the one who actually liked Captain America to then be killed by the new one. That hurts. I must have missed the music, the music callback. And I'm usually pretty good it at It was like stuff the like screaming that. Winter Soldier music. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. The- it was good. Yeah. Okay. I missed that. Episode five, Truth. A distraught walker flees on foot to a warehouse, often abandoned railway. Babe, you're not exactly incognito with that suit and shield. Just saying. (laughs) Sam and Bucky catch up to him and try to talk him down. But Walker, the serum amping his already boosted paranoia, refuses to back down or give up the shield. So they fight. And it is a particularly violent fight. Walker rips the wings off of the falcon suit and almost kills Sam until Bucky intervenes. Together, they are able to subdue Walker and get the shield away from him, breaking his arm in the process. This just might be the most brutal fight in the MCU thus far. I like how Bucky picks up the shield after they beat up Walker, and he holds it for a moment, almost like he's considering what might have been, like maybe he should keep it. But then he drops it by Sam and just walks away. And then Sam, wiping the blood off of it and all, he looks like just, yeah, Sam looks like he's going to cry. It's like there's this guilt just ready to pour out of him. I like when Sam is talking to Walker and he says something about like, oh, you know, it was the heat of the battle as if he's saying like, hey, it's okay. We all lose our cool and tough situations sometimes when Walker's whole claim to fame is making the right decisions in the heat of battle. Like Lamar said, just before Walker's actions got him killed. I also like the similarities between this fight and the fight in Civil War between Steve, Bucky, and Tony. Walker pulling off Sam's wings, like how Tony pulled off Bucky's arm, and the fact that it's two-on-one. The shield being sort of that visual example of their disagreement causing this whole fight in the first place. That's a cool fight, too. The fight in Civil War is, uh, it was a very heated fight, a very passionate fight almost, because, at least but as far as Steve and, and Tony were concerned, because they were friends up until, more or less, friends up until that point. And this was kind of really, really personal. It was a very personal fight. I think this one, this one is much more brutal because it's just like, you know, okay, we hate this guy. Let's just beat the crap out of him. We'll break his arm if we have to. The police and the GRC round up several of Carly's followers at the camps, but she is nowhere to be found. Sam leaves his damaged wings with Torres, who's continuing to look for Carly. Torres informs Sam and Bucky that the two of them have essentially been benched by the GRC. Torres taking an interest in the wings and Sam giving them to him. From what little I know of Captain America Brave New World, those points are going to be rather important. In Washington, the GRC strips Walker of the title of Captain America and gives him a not-honorable discharge from the U.S. Army. He maintains no rank and receives no benefits. Walker protests angrily, saying that they made him into what they wanted him to be and that he was only doing the job they ordered him to do. After the hearing, Walker and Olivia spend a few moments alone elsewhere in the building. Still seething, he tells her that the council has no idea what it takes to be Captain America. Walker's not entirely wrong on this point. In this country of ours, we are very good at building people up so we can tear them down at a later date. Are you sure that this is the GRC and not just a regular military tribunal? You know, that that same dumbass senator that's at all the GRC stuff is presiding over this hearing, so I assumed... It was the GRC. In the scene before, Torres says something to Sam about the GRC taking over the investigation. I guess I'm just wondering why the GRC seems to just be a global version of the U.S. government. No, 
it's, 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 isn't the well i guess Laws, so but, borders you know, who cares the u.s, the US government is already a, is a the u.s government is already a global version of the u.s government so we are already and, here, i want to know what's the difference between a not honorable discharge and a dishonorable discharge that's what i oh, want to know yeah I when thought you, about that and I didn't look it up, so I don't know. Any active military or veterans need to? Well, we have no way for them to comment on this, so <laughs> send up a send up a flare. Send up a flare and let us know let what us the know. difference is. Walker and Olivia are interrupted by the arrival of the mysterious Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, last seen sending Yelena Belova on a mission to kill Clint Barton at the end of Black Widow. She tells him that he was correct to both take the serum and to kill Nico, and that she expects him to respond when she calls him in the future. Well, Val's putting together quite a team, isn't she? Interesting that quip she makes about the shield not actually belonging to the U.S. government. I'm guessing it's technically a long-term loaner from the Wakandans? This shield is technically a new one, right? Like, it was rebuilt, I assume, after it got destroyed during Endgame, and surely the U.S. didn't rebuild it. I love Val, and I'm very excited for more Val. The only problem is that, in my head, she does look a little bit like Dr. Rayner, and so I kind of get them confused. I've always wanted to know if the vibranium used to make these shields was obtained legally or not. What if it was stolen from Wakanda? It had to be stolen. It had to have been. Yeah, had you, to have you, been. You talk, talk about the shield having a complicated history. It just kind of seems like a no-brainer to me that the, the vibranium was stolen. As for Val, I'll talk about her a little bit later. I do have some opinions. Carly and her super soldiers regroup at the camp in Riga. The GRC rounded up everyone there, so now it's deserted. She tells her followers it's time to implement an unspecified plan. Bucky tracks Zemo to the memorial in Sokovia. Zemo once again urges him to eliminate Carly before she can do any more damage. Bucky responds by telling him that they'll stop Carly, but that they're doing it their way. He puts a gun to Zemo's head and pulls the trigger. It's empty. Io and the Dormelage then emerge and take Zemo away. Io tells Bucky that they are taking him to the raft. She also urges him to stay away from Wakanda for a little while. Before Io leaves, Bucky asks her for an unspecified favor. Bucky probably had every right in the world to blow Zemo away right there, but he didn't. Interesting how Zemo says he went ahead and crossed his own name off of Bucky's list. One way or another, he figured he was ultimately going to be brought in. Half the world gets zapped and we still have the raft. Oh, goody. I just don't like an extrajudicial prison floating in the ocean. I think that's a bad idea for a lot of reasons. Well, I mean, yeah, this is... <laughs> What's this the is Mer- ocean... This is, this is, this the is super America. floating ocean pokey? What do they call it? <laughs> What's that from? That's not what he called it? I thought, I thought uh, Tony the, Stark this? called the raft something like that oh i guess he did like well, the you supermax know. floating ocean pokey or something even the elimination of half of all life in the universe won't stop us from uh mass extra incarceration re- rend- extra you know extreme rendition or whatever sam returns to baltimore with the shield to see isaiah bradley and to finally hear his story he and the other members of his unit were injected with different versions of the super soldier serum before being sent on missions. Most of the others became unstable and died shortly thereafter. A couple of the men were captured on a mission, and the U.S. military considered bombing the POW camp to destroy the evidence of their experimentations. Isaiah broke out of his compound and rescued them, but shortly thereafter they died and Isaiah was the only one left. Over the course of three decades, the military conducted experiments on him, trying to figure out why the serum worked on him successfully. A nurse at the facility took pity on him and filed some false reports, declaring him dead. 
Sam wants to help Isaiah go public with his story, but Isaiah wishes his name to remain dead and buried. They will never let a black man be Captain America, and even if they do, no self-respecting black man would ever want to be. Another very powerful performance by Carl Lumbly as Isaiah Bradley. His story is, for me, easily one of the most compelling parts of the series. It provides the entire context for the significance of you know, even just the idea of Sam Wilson becoming Captain America. And once again, Anthony Mackie doing some of the best acting of his career without having to say a word. His face and his eyes, the way he looks at and looks off of Isaiah when he's speaking, uh, it's just a masterful performance. I do agree with Isaiah that Sam is very naive, but then again, so was Steve before he saw the real horrors of a war. I think the issue with Sam is because of the way the world is, you know, racism, xenophobia, all of that, it's way more dangerous for him to be that naive. Sam returns to Louisiana to help Sarah repair the boat, with the help of some neighbors from whom he calls in a few favors. Soon thereafter, Bucky arrives to help. He also comes bearing a mysterious box, courtesy of the Wakandans. Remember when I said I wanted domestic Avengers? This is what I meant. I love this. <laughs> I love this whole thing. I also love Sarah and Bucky flirting. His little, like, hi, Sarah. Like, go away. <laughs> Gosh, it's really cute. <laughs> Uh, and you know, and you know, he's he's at least fifty percent of that is just to annoy Sam, and Sam's reaction is just is just kind of priceless. I think that the Sam Bucky buddy buddy stuff with fixing the boat and all was was actually quite necessary. After all of the headbutting they've done over the years, they needed this seemingly mundane experience to process everything that's happened. I think Sam already had a pretty good understanding of Bucky by that point, but now Bucky gets. I think Bucky gets Sam a lot more after this. And I think they finally realize that with Steve gone, it's important for the two of them to be tight. Walker visits Lamar Hoskins' family and falsely tells them that the man he killed was the one who killed Lamar. Walker telling a bald-faced lie to Lamar's family while they're singing his praises really made me feel uncomfortable. And then that scene is coupled with him walking down the street, looking at the Cap is Back posters on the wall. We see how the government commoditized him and the whole Captain America entity. And suddenly, I do actually feel a little sad for him. While it's not necessarily the government's fault that Walker's unhinged, and they might not be responsible for killing Nico, they certainly didn't do him any favors along the way either. We don't get to see this come back into play again, but Lamar's sister definitely doesn't trust Walker. Oh, no doubt. Uh, she's given him the stink eye the entire time. Uh, I don't think she buys his story one bit. In Madripoor, we hear Sharon Carter talking on the phone with George Batrock, whom she has gotten released from prison. She has a job for him. Now, what sort of banana republic is the MCU running? Why can't they keep Batrock in jail for longer than two seconds? We have the floating ocean supermax pokey, <laughs> pokey. 2.0 federal, interfederal, international prison. We cannot keep a silly little weirdo, a silly little French man in jail. Yeah, well, you know. It's our... been decades almost at this point. No one ever accused the U.S. government of not being able to take a bribe or whatnot from, you know, <laughs> some arms dealer, arms dealer down in said Banana Republic or whatever the heck you want to call it. I'm sure, I'm sure people like Batrock disappear, disappear from custody all the time. We cut to the Wilson house where Bucky is observing Sam practice using the shield. Sam tells Bucky that it feels strange picking up the shield and notes how complicated its legacy is. Bucky acknowledges that when Steve told him about giving the shield to Sam, neither of them understood the meaning and complexity of giving it to a black man, nor could they ever. 
Bucky apologizes to Sam for not understanding that before and for giving him such a hard time about it. He also tells Sam that the shield was like the only family that he had left, and that he felt like he'd been left out to dry when Sam retired it. He started questioning everything. Sam responds by telling Bucky that it never actually really mattered what Steve thought. You gotta stop looking to other people to tell you who you are. I really like this because the struggle with Bucky is that he's always either been a sidekick or a weapon. Like, as a character, he doesn't ever really get to make his own choices because they're his choice. He makes his choices because he's reacting to other people. You know, people who are the main character or who drive the story, and now it kind of seems like maybe he'll get to do the driving in the story, hopefully. Either Well, either that or his actions are are being, in sort of way, he's, he's allowing his actions to be dictated by someone else. This is what Steve would have done. I need to do this to honor Steve. Even even like the Winter Soldier, I need to do I need to do this to avenge you know the crimes committed by the Winter Soldier. It's it's yeah everything is sort of he does everything he does is like a reaction. Uh, and now he's finally you know feeling empowered enough to make decisions for himself. Furthermore, Sam tells Bucky that if he wants to truly get past being the Winter Soldier to the extent that it's possible, he needs to stop just avenging other people and start being of service to them. Don't tell them he's sorry because it will make him feel better, but do something to make them feel better. Give them closure instead of seeking it for himself. You know, up until now, I thought that Sam's speech at the end of the final episode was the most important scene in the series. But now I'm starting to think that it might be this one. Uh, There's an awful lot of clarity gained by both men in this scene. Sam accepting that he needs to take the shield back, and Bucky understanding both Sam's quandary and the need to define himself in terms other than Steve. I really like the visual metaphor of the two of them playing catch with the shield in the process. Sam realizes he needs to take it back, and Bucky realizes he needs to let it go. Just a couple guys being dudes. <laughs> tossing around the old, tossing around the shield in the backyard. The, the, what do they call it? What do they call a football? The old pigskin? Is that what the they call pigskin. it? The old pigskin. Yeah, see, I know things. The old frisbee. The old vibranium frisbee. Just a couple guys being dudes. Back at the boat, Sam is ready to paint over the name when Sarah stops him, much to his relief. She can't bring herself to sell Paul and Darlene. Sam says it's part of the history of their family and their people, and they can't just give it up. Sarah quietly expresses her pride in her brother's willingness to fight the good fight, both at home and out there. And as for Isaiah Bradley... While Sam completely understands where he's coming from, he also thinks that all that Isaiah fought and suffered for would be wasted if he himself didn't continue to fight. The Sam Wilson training montage is awesome AF. I really need to start doing the Anthony Mackie workout. Although my son and I were both wondering how exactly putting gymnasium pads on a tree keeps it from getting sawed in half by the shield. We see it bury itself in an unprotected tree earlier in the series. So like, Adding a few inches of foam is really going to keep a shield made of vibranium from turning it into mulch. That said, it does it does look pretty cool. I don't know. Those trees might be pretty sturdy. The shield went into a tree somewhere else, not in Louisiana. You don't know what they feed those Louisiana trees. <laughs> they feed them. Uh, it's all that. It's all that good uh, Wilson family seafood. Crab or yeah, like a Crawdads. country boil. <laughs> Carly and Dovich meet up with Batrack in a park in New York City. They will get his help in taking out Sam Wilson, and he will get revenge. She then begins mobilizing the Flag Smashers supporters in New York for an attack on the GRC conference, at which they will vote on the Patch Act, legislation that will send thousands of refugees back to their home countries. Torres, having picked up the new Flag Smasher chatter in New York, informs Sam. As the GRC proceedings commence, the lights and computer screens in the conference hall go out. 
Back in Louisiana, Sam finally opens up the box Bucky brought from the Wakandans. Episode 6, One World, One People. I'm just going to start this out by saying that I think One World, One People is a great motto, and whoever came up with that in the writer's room deserves a raise, on top of the raise that they'll be getting after this strike is done. Bucky is on the ground with the NYPD outside the GRC conference, while we see Sam from a distance flying towards Manhattan. Sharon soon appears, having been called in by Sam as backup. Carly gives the order for the attack to commence. Flag smashers who have infiltrated the conference room drive the council out of the chamber and into the hallway with gas. But before they can do anything to the council, Sam smashes in through a window and incapacitates the flag smashers with the shield. He is wearing a Captain America uniform and wings courtesy of the Wakandans. Who's this ding-dong GRC member who doesn't know that they replaced Steve with John Walker? I thought Captain America was on the moon. Yeah, okay, and you didn't see any of the daily propaganda about Walker? We're just skipping straight to Sam. Okay. Yeah, I think that was one of those awkward attempts to inject some humor into this show that just fell really flat because it's not a show that lends itself to a lot of humor. Sam realizes that Carly is trying to drive the council out of the building and tells Bucky and Sharon to try and keep everyone inside. Nonetheless, several members of the council are seemingly being evacuated by police into armored cars in the garage, but the people hurting them are flag smashers in disguise. One of the guys in a flag smasher mask back near the conference room is actually Batrock. He and Sam fight. Bucky is following the council downstairs when a staffer hands him a phone. It's Carly on the line. He implores her not to go through with this plan, but it quickly becomes apparent that she was stalling him. He rushes down to the garage and realizes that several members of the council have been taken. He steals a motorcycle and gives chase. And I do love Bucky on a motorcycle, so thank you. (laughs) I I, kind of thought you might. While Sharon kills one of the Flag Smashers with a mercury vapor grenade. Say that three times fast. I think the whole concept of a mercury vapor grenade is kind of wicked. The dude just like, his face just melts off. She sees a chopper taking off with some of the council members aboard. The pilot, no doubt, a Flag Smasher. Sam disengages from Batrock and flies out a window to pursue the chopper over the river. An intense aerial battle takes place between Sam and the chopper as he tries to free the council members aboard. He orders Red Ring to investigate the passengers on the chopper and determine if any of them have flight training. One of the council members used to fly helicopters. Okay, real quick, I don't like how much Red Wing knows. Bucky's got the right idea. Red Wing sucks. I hate to break it to you, but the internet probably already no, knows. No, I know. A I don't. I Red don't Wing like knows. it. I already don't like that either. I think they're so both it's like, bad. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> Red Wing brought to you by Mark Zuckerberg. Red Wing brought to you by anything you've ever put on your iPhone. Everybody, put your stuff behind a VPN, please. Thank you. <laughs> It won't help, but it'll at least make me feel better inside. Carly and her inner circle regroup. If anything goes wrong, Carly is prepared to execute the hostages. Either way, their message will get out. She believes that the movement is strong enough to go on without them should they all die. A statement that has her comrades all looking a little hesitant. The armored cars arrive at a rendezvous point where Carly's waiting. Bucky arrives moments later and engages the flag smashers. Carly orders her people to set fire to one of the cars as a diversion. As Bucky tries to free the people from the burning car, John Walker appears out of nowhere and engages Carly, determined to avenge Lamar's death. With considerable effort, Bucky is able to open the car doors and free the hostages. He then joins Walker in fighting Carly and her crew, but he and one of the Flag Smashers fall down into the pit of a construction site. (laughs) What the hell is that shield of Walker's made out of? Steve's trash can lid from Brooklyn? I do love when Walker rolls up and calls out for Carly and has his little hissy fit. I wonder how many times they had to take him shouting Morgenthau so that he'd sound appropriately bonkers. I like the way he said it. Morgenthau! Like, okay, babe, chill. 
Red Wing is able to send a text message to the former helicopter pilot on board the chopper. With the two secretly communicating by phone, Sam successfully removes the pilot from the chopper, while the woman takes control before it hits the Hudson River. Walker goes mano a mano with Carly and seems to gain the upper hand, but before he can finish her off, she runs off and drives one of the remaining armored cars with hostages towards the edge of the construction pit. It teeters on the edge, ready to go over unless someone intervenes. Walker then has a choice to make. Save the hostages from certain death or pursue Carly and satisfy his bloodlust. He chooses to save the hostages and begins pulling the car back, but before he can finish, Carly and the other flag smashers jump him, sending them all falling into the pit. The car is about to go over, but is caught by Sam in midair. With Sam, Bucky, Walker, Carly, and the Flag Smashers gathered in the pit, Batroc fires smoke grenades into the pit, allowing Carly and her compatriots to escape deeper into the construction site. Sam, Bucky, and Walker pursue. Carly runs into Batroc and Sharon, who reveals herself to be the power broker. Carly used to work for her, but then betrayed her. Sharon sent Batroc to spy on Carly, but now she's offering her one last chance to come back and work for her. Batroc attempts to blackmail Sharon demanding four times what Sharon originally agreed to pay him in exchange for him not revealing her identity to the world. He and Sharon shoot each other. She is badly wounded, but Batroc dies. Finally, I mean, <laughs> maybe, hopefully, <laughs> I think so, maybe. Let's hope. <laughs> there was much rejoicing over in Studio E. Yay! I just think it's silly. Carly turns her gun on Sharon just as Sam arrives. He tries to talk her down, but she attacks him instead. Sam refuses to fight back. Dovich and the remaining Flag Smashers use the Flag Smasher app to flee to what they think is a rendezvous with Carly. Instead, they walk right into an ambush set up by Bucky and Walker and are arrested by the cops. A Lincoln quote? Really? Great man. Great quote. Not when you say it. Bucky is all of us against John Walker, the president of the I Hate John Walker fan club. Carly continues to wail on Sam, knocking him down as the shield rolls across the floor. She's about to shoot Sam when Sharon shoots her. Carly tells Sam she's sorry before dying in his arms. I don't get it. When Carly's pounding away at Sam, she's like, fight me, fight me, like some psychotic rage monster. And then as she's dying, she's like, I'm sorry. Will the real Carly Morgenthau please stand up? I mean, we don't really know what she's apologizing for. There's any number of reasons why that don't have anything to do with this particular fight. You know, they I mean, kind of agreed with each other. Like... They wanted to see the same outcome. Like, she might like, have been oh, apologizing because she thinks they won't reach it. No, I suppose. I so don't it's, know. Like, it's like, now you're sorry? Oh, now that you realize you're bleeped, now you're sorry? Well, yeah, that's lots of people. It's pretty common. <laughs> Sam flies Carly's body out of the pit and confronts members of the GRC, who intend to go forward with their resettlement plan. They call the Flag Smashers terrorists, but Sam asks what those people they're about to relocate are going to call them. One of the senators tells Sam that he has no idea how complicated the situation is. Sam replies that that's a good thing, that the people in power finally have some sense of the helplessness being experienced by the folks begging them for help. And when told that he simply doesn't understand, Sam says, I'm a black man carrying the stars and stripes. What don't I understand? Every time I pick this thing up, I know there are millions of people out there who are going to hate me for it. And even as he feels the judgment on the stairs, he carries on. The only power I have is that I believe that we can do better. Carly and the Flag Smashers did all of this, and no one bothered to ask why. And if the government doesn't step up, the next Carly will. The government has the power. The question is, how will they use it? I think that's the main message of the series right there. We can do better. Or, more aptly, we must do better. You don't need a Thanos-level catastrophe to see that. Our real world looks like that right now. Powerful governments not doing more to help when they're perfectly capable of doing so. 
I didn't think the speech was very good the first time I watched this series, but the second time around, I think it's actually pretty good. I thought it was very poignant the, the first time and even more so now that I've kind of, because I was paying closer attention to it now. I played it over and over again a few times. I really like it. It just makes me think about when Sam to Steve was like, do you write that down or is it just off the top of your head? <laughs> That's what that yeah. made me think of. Cap is very good at speechifying. He's very good at sort of making the rousing speech. Steve would usually do that to inspire people. And yes, Sam is inspiring people also, but he's but he's also, you know, kind of, you know, weaving in sort of a cautionary thing. He's he's also pointing out when things are wrong. And I mean, I'll talk about this a little bit later on in the in the in the character section. So I don't want to I don't want to I digress. We'll c- continue. Bucky quietly hustles Sharon away so that she can get treatment for her gunshot wound. The remaining flag smashers are put into an armored car by police who are clearly sympathizers. As they drive away, their car explodes at the hand of Zemo's butler, who observes from nearby. So it made sense, kind of, I guess, for them to take Zemo to the raft because, like, it's Zemo, and hopefully he was already given a trial. But why were they taking the Flag Smashers to the raft? You know, love me some extrajudicial punishment, I guess. No, we, we talked about this. We've this, already uh, talked about it, but I American, just got to talk about it again. It's, Ameri- it's an American tradition, you know. Back in Washington, Val gives Walker a new suit, like his old one, but with black instead of blue. <laughs> Isn't that actually what he says? It's the same thing, but black. Yes. And he's like real hype about it <laughs> and dubs him U.S. agent. Bucky visits Yori Nakajima and tells him what happened to his son. Later, we see Dr. Rayner receiving Bucky's book with all of his names crossed off and a note thanking her for all the help. Bucky passes by Izzy and sees Yori talking with Leah. He then walks away. Sam takes Isaiah and Eli to the Captain America exhibit at the Smithsonian to show them the new memorial dedicated to Isaiah. Sam and Bucky reconvene down at the Wilson Family Seafood for a celebratory cookout with friends and family. A title card rolls across the screen. It reads, Captain America and the Winter Soldier. In a mid-credit sequence, Sharon Carter is issued a full pardon and is reinstated to her former position in the CIA. Afterwards, she makes a call to someone and informs them that the power broker now has full access to the U.S. government's secrets and technologies. And take with a, that... <laughs> take, a, take a deep breath and a drink. Nice job, Emily. Thank you. Two in, a, two in a row, even though two in a row is separated by about two and a half months. Two in a row separated by a quarter of the year almost. Quarter of the year. All right. Well, my computer's at 35%, so let's get this done. We can do it. I believe in it. Oh, 35%. That's That's, that's nothing. That's I mean, that's a nothing. lot. <laughs> the opposite way. That's a lot. This is the this is the part of the show where we talk about actors and characters, and we will start off Why would you say it backwards? Because that's not how we say it? I know, but actually because we kind of because I don't a, like a comes, change. A comes before C and we always list I always list the actor before the character name. So I don't it just kind like of makes change. Say it the old way, please. Oh my god. Please. <laughs> like I was saying, this is the part of sh- the show where we talk about characters and actors. Starting with an actor <laughs> named Anthony Mackie, who plays a character named Sam Wilson slash the Falcon slash Captain America. I think this was a coming out party of sorts for Anthony Mackie. This is his first Marvel project in which he has a very large amount of screen time. He's the co-lead with Sebastian Stan, and I think he's fantastic in this. He brilliantly captures the essence of Sam Wilson at a moment in time in both his own life and in the greater MCU, where momentous change, which Emily apparently fears, 
which surprises me, is happening. And he's figuring out his role in all of it. He's got this wonderful quality about him where he manages, and Anthony Mackie I'm speaking of, he manages to bring grace, strength, thoughtfulness, and humor to the role, all in equal measure. That's a hard balancing act to pull off. I think he does it extremely well. Sam Wilson feels like all of the good qualities we got in Steve Rogers, but this time they're being focused through the lens of a man who has no superpowers and who hails from a group of people who've been repeatedly oppressed for centuries. That makes him acutely aware of the suffering of others and perhaps grants him an even keener sense of justice than even Steve had. He's very believable to me, and I would totally follow him as a leader. I like that he doesn't have powers. I mean, I know, like, if we think about other people, like, who are the ones that don't have powers? Clint doesn't have any powers. Natasha doesn't. Tony technically doesn't. But I feel like also Sam came from... I feel like I would connect him and Clint together the most because they're both like normal dudes you know Natasha grew up all spy crafty Tony grew up rich Batman kind of situation Mm -hmm. for Clint and Sam they're both just like normal dudes and they both have this oh you know we'll obviously talk about this more with Hawkeye of like the true little guy you know you're trying to help out the you know someone who's down and out all the time and they sort of recognize that in other people. And I do like that Sam did connect with Carly. I thought that was really useful because she isn't like Hydra. You know, she isn't like Thanos. There is something sympathetic about her. And he can see that. And he can see, like, you know, ah, uh, you know, if you weren't 17 or however old she is, she's quite young. If you weren't literally just a little kid, you know, maybe this would be different. Like, maybe we would be having a different conversation. And it kind of feels like that with Clint and Wanda. You know, like, if you weren't just a kid, if you had a couple more years to mature before all these terrible things happened to you, we'd be having a different conversation. The way Anthony Mackie plays Sam in this, I think, is a good embodiment of that, of, like, just a tired dude (laughs) who's just trying his best. I think that's a part of the character, but I also think he's... But I think he wants it. Like, I don't think Clint wants to be... A superhero. I think Sam does want it. I think Sam wants it, yeah, because he's been a public servant all of his life. You know, he was in the U.S. military, and then he was helping veterans get back up on their feet and come to terms with all the stuff that they saw and did and felt. And that's just that's just in his nature. It's just in his nature. I th- I think he's very fair. And yes, it takes a it takes a special kind of person to look at Carly, and say, you know, I don't like what you're doing but i get it and i'm not ready to outright condemn you because clearly you came from a situation that was really horrible it sometimes takes a special kind of person to do that sam is clearly that person which is why in a lot of ways it makes him perhaps uniquely qualified to be captain america emily's boy sebastian stan as bucky barnes I mean, I don't know. What can I say about him that I haven't already said? I was super excited for this show. I don't think this is the best of the TV series, like at all. But I am very glad that we got to see Bucky as a person detached from Steve. I think, you know, he got a fair bit of screen time in the first Captain America movie. He got no screen time as himself and, you know, quite a bit of screen time as not even quite a bit unacceptable amount as the winter soldier 
And then the version of him that existed sort of in the rest of the movies, he was just trying to survive. Like, there's not really a chance for character development when you are trying to dodge people that are literally trying to kill you. There's people trying to kill him all through Civil War. And then Infinity War, it's just kind of like, hey, there's an alien armada coming. We need you to fight. And then he gets blipped, dusted, whatever we want to call it. And then he comes back literally just to fight in Endgame. And to be the one that Steve tells, like, hey... Gonna go bop around in the 50s for a while. See ya. So I like that we get to see more of Sebastian Stan because I do think he really is a great actor. Like, I've seen a bunch of stuff that he's in, obviously. And I think he is a really good actor. And I think there is obviously more to him than just sad Bucky, although you know I love that. Because he's funny and he cares about people and he's a nice guy. And it's I think really good to see that. The parts that I like that were sort of like the domestic Avengers when he's helping Sam with the boat. I like that stuff. I want more of that stuff. I want a whole show of that. Especially if Bucky's in it. Yes. Well, yeah. Duh, of course. Bucky and Clint. Yes. My favorites. With guest stars Tom Hiddleston as Loki and... Tom Holland as Peter. Tom Holland as Peter Parker and Isaac Oscar as Mark Spector. Yeah, that's all I need. Just a bunch of sad little dudes. Oscar Isaac, excuse me. But hopefully not sad in this. Just having a good old time. You write you write that show, Emily. Once the strike is over, you write that. In a way, I think this is kind of like a this is kind of like a coming out party for Sebastian Stan as well. You know, like you said before, this is probably the most we've seen of non-winter soldier Bucky since Captain America the First Avenger. And like Sam, we get to see Bucky dealing with the life-altering changes in his life. You've always talked about Sad Bucky and, and how for the most of the MCU, he's been either a sidekick or a weapon, and you're absolutely right. Bucky's arc has been a tremendously sad and tragic one. In this series, we finally get to see him deal with all that trauma and grief and guilt, and we see him coming into his own as Bucky Barnes the individual, not Captain America's sidekick or the Winter Soldier. And all of that stuff will be with him for the rest of his life to a certain extent. But we're finally getting to see his true self emerge and shine a little bit. I, I like to give you a hard time about Sebastian Stan, I know. But yeah, the truth is he's he's excellent in this role. I think he's a fantastic actor from what little I've seen. Uh, and he really gets to showcase his skill as an actor by showing us some very broad range here. We get the guilt and the angst, of course. We get the dogged determination to set things right, at least as far as he sees it. We see vulnerability. And for the first time, we really we really get to see Bucky grow. Uh, in fact, part of me is kind of afraid that he's going to end up taking a step backwards in the upcoming Thunderbolts film. Because in the comics, you know, the Thunderbolts are kind of like Marvel's version of the Suicide Squad. They're always doing, you know, covert, clandestine, probably illegal missions for, you know, the man. So I kind of don't want to see him step back into that world now that he's come so far, but, you know, we'll find out in a couple years what's in store for him. Wyatt Russell as John Walker, a.k.a. U.S. Agent. I just want to say I talked smack about John Walker, but that's because Wyatt Russell played it so well. You are supposed to hate John Walker. That's the point. I mean, you can obviously feel sympathy for him because of whatever reasons, but at the core, I think... You're supposed to not like John Walker because he is the antithesis of everything that Steve was. You know, like Sam is a companion to Steve. Sam makes sense. Sam is good. John Walker is not. And I know that lots and lots of people were mean to Wyatt Russell because they didn't like John Walker. 
And it's like, no, that means he did his job. You're supposed to hate the guy. That's the point. Like, you should be happy with Wyatt Russell. Like, you should want to, like, celebrate his achievements as an actor to create a character that is just so unhinged and terrible. That's the point. And I think he did a really great job. And I just want to say, good job, Wyatt Russell. You and your smarmy little face, you did a great job. If it isn't already clear by now, Emily and I have a little bit of a disagreement over <laughs> over the John Walker character, but I think we're in total agreement about Wyatt Russell. I lo- absolutely love him in this role. He pulls it off so well, regardless of what you think of the John Walker character. Wyatt Russell uh, does a phenomenal job in the role. Uh, you know, on the one hand, you want to throttle him for all the bad decisions and the impulsiveness. And, you know, this whole, you know, trying too hard to impress people thing. But on the other hand, I mean, I get that he feels the pressure of having such large shoes to fill. And that the government is clearly using him as a propaganda piece, much like they did with Steve initially. I like the idea of being able to see what happens when you give that kind of responsibility to someone who, frankly, isn't up to it. That's not a criticism of Walker. Very few people in this world could be up to that job. Uh, so there's just kind of this perfect storm of circumstances coalescing around him, and it just it just destroys him. Uh, he's one big ball of conflict ready to ready to go off at any moment, and Wyatt, Wyatt Russell just plays that very, very convincingly. Uh, and I get that he's coming from a position of privilege. He didn't have to take that job. And you know, the GRC aside... He probably has a better support system than most, but uh, you know I can't help it. I I still feel I still feel a little sorry for him. But if you like the character and if you like what Riot Russell did with this role, we will be seeing him again in the Thunderbolts movie, also. So uh, whatever beef there is between Bucky and John, it ain't over yet. Aaron Kellyman as Carly Morgenthau. All right, so we both liked, and we've talked about this before. We both liked Aaron Kellyman's performance as Enfys Nest in the uh, Star Wars film Solo, which I still think is a very, very highly underrated movie. I think she's phenomenal here in Falcon as Carly Morgenthau. But I would, you know, honestly, I would really like to see her playing something other than a revolutionary for once. I kind of feel like she's getting typecast in these sorts of things. As for Carly, I've already, I've already beaten that horse to death. I don't like her. Just something about her just really, really, really grates on me more than Walker does. You can take with that what you will. I I like what I think they were trying to do with her, the writers and the producers. I think I get the basics of what she wants. But again, I I don't think we have enough proper context to understand just why she and the Flag Smashers thought that life was better during the blip. I just don't get that. And was that really sufficiently enough to turn her into a killer? Was it the serum doing this to her? It just seems like we were frequently getting reactions from Carly. It's not that her reactions were disproportionate, but she just kind of... I don't know if it's the way she was written or what, but she just kind of, to me, she just kind of comes off as pissed off all the time. And, you know, anger born of circumstance that we actually get to witness, to me, is interesting. But since we're just kind of being told a lot of this, this is what happened to her in very vague terms. She's angry because her people are being treated badly. Trust us. I just don't find that very compelling. I do like Erin Kellyman, and I do think she did well with what she was given. But I, I don't think it's Carly Morgenthau, the character's fault, that she wasn't that good. Like, that it was confusing and that it didn't really work because you were just supposed to not like the Flag Smashers. And I don't think there was really, like, a, a villain in this show because there's so much gray area and because so many 
different storylines were kind of happening. Like there was the John Walker thing. There was the Isaiah Bradley thing. There was the having the shield. There was the flag smashers. Like there was a lot of stuff going on. And nobody was really like bad in like really heavy quotes. People were just doing what they thought was right with the information and the stuff that they had at hand. And I think they wanted the Flag Smashers to be bad and they wanted Carly Morgenthau to be bad. But then at the end, they have Sam turn it around and say like, oh, you can't call her a terrorist. You know, she is doing this for a reason. Like, what's the reason we have to actually talk about that? And sort of to wait six episodes to say that, (laughs) I think is where the problem lies. So I don't think it's necessarily the character's fault that the character was poorly written. I don't know how to explain it. Because like I, mean, I, I think John Walker was well-written. I think we understood where he was coming from and why he was the way he was. Because he didn't really have a history with the blip. Nothing that he did was related to that kind of stuff. Like, he just wanted to be Captain America. But Carly Morgenthau had all of these things that she wanted to do based on information that we don't have. Like, we have everything we need, pretty much, to tell the story of John Walker. We don't have anything that we need to tell the story of Carly Morgenthau. I take a look, I'm not trying to defend her. I'm just saying right. I think she was poorly written. I, I don't think, yeah, and maybe this is my, what I'm about to say kind of speaks to that. Like I, I keep going back because he's become kind of the standard for antagonists in the MCU. I'll go back to Killmonger. I felt a heck of a lot more sympathetic towards Eric Killmonger. The, the way they portrayed him you felt the abandonment. Well, and, I mean, we saw felt, it. We saw it. We ever, and that just, it we was didn't just, it's see what like, happened to her. I felt a lot more sympathetic with him than I do with Carly. For me, it would have helped to see what they went through. On the one hand, it's like we shouldn't question their story. Just like if someone is accusing someone of doing something, you should listen to them. Then again, this is also <laughs> this is a TV show. <laughs> For the purpose of trying to get your audience on board, I feel like we were done a disservice. Can you please show me why Carly is this way? Because we see her reacting to stuff and doing stuff, and it just seems like it's being done in a vacuum to me. And that just really, that just kind of drove me up a wall. Yeah, Um, you're right. I agree with you. uh, Let's see. Danny Ramirez as Lieutenant Joaquin Torres. He'll be in Brave New World in a rather important role. Uh, And that's really all I have to say about him. Daniel Bruhl as Baron Helmut Zemo. I've always liked Daniel Bruhl as Zemo. And while part of it is obviously a solid performance by Bruhl, I think a lot of it is admittedly that we got a very good sense of what drives him all the way back in Civil War. Without a whole lot of fanfare or hand-wringing, they gave us a clear, concise explanation as to why he hates superheroes and superpowered beings of any sort. And so in this series, the Flag Smashers provide us with a almost a tailor-made thing for Zemo to rail against. It's just a natural extension of the Zemo we already know. But it was also kind of neat to learn additional things about him, like the fact that he's a baron in Sokovia, or that he likes Turkish delight, or that he can dance. And because he's so smart and so manipulative, He continues to be a a great foil for our heroes. I know that I've talked smack on Helmet Zemo (laughs) just because I I don't understand. It kind of just, I don't know. It felt like we were just given a a totally different character from what we had before. Like what we had in Civil War and what we had here, two different people. And not just because he went through some terrible trauma and was in jail and the blip and blah, blah, blah. But two completely different characters. And I don't know if that's because 
there wasn't really a chance to explore his character before or if they wanted to go a different route and then they wanted to go this route. I liked him. Like, he's kind of grown on me and I sort of understand where he's coming from. If you sort of retcon Civil War in a way, like his characterization in Civil War, because obviously the thing about him not liking super soldiers that stayed the same. But I guess like retconning his personality, like if you just ignore that fact, then it works. I guess I don't I don't see where you're coming from. I don't I don't see two different characters. I see kind of a natural extension. The helmet Zemo in Civil War was sort of still the wounds were still fresh. He was still raw and he was in the middle of carrying out his grand plan for revenge. In Falcon and the Winter Soldier, he's had a lot of time to think. <laughs> he's had a lot he's had a lot of time to sit out and marinate. He did what he intended to do. He achieved his aim. Everything else that happens is like icing on the cake. Emily Van Camp as Sharon Carter. I liked her before. I didn't really like her. I mean, I thought she was like completely different in this. Doesn't somebody say that? They're like, I think I liked you before. I think so. Or she says it about somebody or they say it about her, but they're like, mm, I don't like you now. You're kind of mean now. It had to be. It had to be Sam. I mean, I don't have much of I don't have much to say about Emily Van Camp. I think she did just fine. It was good to see her again. After such a long absence, I know a lot of fans complained about seeing Sharon take such a dark turn. But, you know, after she got stiffed by Steve and just about everyone else, I don't blame her for feeling the way she did. I don't blame her for doing what she had to do to survive uh, and, you know, and for being more than just a little bit pissed off about it. I just didn't have any problem with it. Clay Bennett as Lamar Hoskins, a.k.a. Battlestar. I don't really have anything to say about Lamar Hoskins, but I do really love Clay Bennett. He is one of the cast members in one of my favorite procedural cop shows. <laughs> it's called Flashpoint. If you want to check it out, it's a Canadian show. He's very good in it. I think he did just fine as Lamar. I just wish he had more to do. Uh, Lamar seemed to have a good, sensible head on his shoulders and almost certainly was better at thinking things through than Walker ever was. But sometimes in your well-intentioned attempts to support a close friend... You may not stand up to them when perhaps they really need it. And I don't know whether or not this was the case with Lamar Hoskins, but I just get the feeling that having a little more of him in Walker's ear might have helped keep things from escalating the way that they did. One can hope and only dream, actually. And one can't hope because he's dead, but one can only dream. <laughs> Thanks, Sherlock. Tenses, they're hard. Florence Kasumba as Ayo. Now, I've always liked watching Florence Kasumba as I.O. in the MCU. Obviously, it's fun to watch her kick ass and play that typical straight-laced, all-business Dora Milaje character. But it was also really nice to see her soften up just a bit in this series, like when she declared Bucky free from the Winter Soldier programming. It was nice to see her get a significant story beat to play this time around and not just stand around looking severe, wonderful though she is at that. Julia Louis-Dreyfus as Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. I was just reading through your notes. She was only in like two scenes, so there's not much for her to do. I assume we're going to see more of her? Oh, she's, well, she, yeah. was in Wakanda for, well, she was in Wakanda Forever, and I suspect we're going to see more of her in What like, did she do in Wakanda Forever? We saw her in Black okay, Widow. Okay, off 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 uh, off camera she used to be married to martin Ro to, to right. martin freeman's character yeah yeah okay she was doing all now. that yeah, yeah and i think okay. I, and i think a lot of my, what i'm watching now has been kind of colored by that i didn't watch a lot of seinfeld 
but I did watch just barely enough to get a feel for most of the characters. And I think my big problem with Val is that she's basically Elaine in the MCU. She's sarcastic and kind of obnoxious, and that's about it. I mean, I've seen Julia Louis-Dreyfus in other things, and I think she can be quite funny and quite capable as an actor. I just don't feel like she was challenged much in this, and therefore she was rather uninteresting to me. Uh, But maybe that was the point. I don't know. I thought she was fun. I just would like to see more of her. And I know obviously now we've talked about it. We do see more of her somewhere else. But I am kind of interested in if there's like a central role that she's going to be playing in anything, considering she's sort of making things move behind the scenes. Well, I have the feel. I don't know if she's in the cast of Thunderbolts, but I would be shocked if she's not actually in that movie. It just It's a movie that just kind of screams to have her. So this is the part we sort of do miscellaneous stuff. Should we talk about Henry Jackman's score? I thought it was really nice to it's have. It's great. It's really good. I thought it was great to have that continuity between you know the Winter Winter Soldier, Civil War, and now this. It feels similar, but also different because there's no more Steve Rogers, and uh, he kind of does. I like his I like his theme for I like his theme for Sam Wilson quite a bit. A little bit of southern rock and gospel flair uh, in there, which of course is very appropriate for Sam Wilson. And there, finally, after all these months, we have completed our review of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Thank you all for being so patient with us as we go through all the stuff that we have to go through when we're not recording podcasts. But we got it done. Thank you, Emily. Well done. Nice job. We're gonna we're gonna next time, whenever that ends up being, hopefully <laughs> Christmas, the way things are going, we'll be back into moving back into the world of MCU feature films. And uh, I know Emily is going to love this. We're gonna, I think we're gonna do I think we're gonna do some back to back Spidey films, back to back Spidey films. So we get a lot of Tom Holland over the course of the next several months. Uh, Our next episode will be our review of Spider-Man Far From Home. And then once we're done with that, we will move on to No Way Home. So thank you once again for listening to us. We will see you down the pike with our Spider-Man Far From Home review. Hopefully it won't take as long as the last few ones have taken. But until then, stay safe, be kind to each other, and we'll see you around. Have a good night and take care. Bye-bye. So Liz and I were talking uh, the other day about a potential episode idea, like a, you know, like a pa- palate cleanser Yeah. of top five most unhinged moments. You know, I was thinking about something like that myself. Because we were thinking about it with um, Walker. John Walker, yeah. Shield, and I was like, well, we could come up with some unhinged moments. We need like a shocking thing. Maybe, you know, what we could do, because uh, I was thinking, I was originally thinking, I was thinking and planning ahead. I was thinking after, after, uh, after, you know, Emily is after Emily's euphoria with two Spider-Man films back to back, you know, <laughs> how would she do with me bringing her down to earth with Eternals? Maybe we could oh, do the maybe gosh, we could I forgot about that. maybe we could do the palate cleanser before we do Eternals. Hey, uh, or, or we could save it for afterwards if you want to get Eternals out of the way first. You want to know who is unhinged? Eddie Brock is unhinged. Venom. <laughs> Bye.